0: Welcome to my TT Wine Explorer podcast. I'm Tanya Tomaszewska. This podcast is about my adventure through the deep and wide world of wine. It's a discussion through my lens as an everyday wine enthusiast turned cork dork and a reformed banking lawyer turned wine industry professional. For this episode, we're going to head south of the Canadian border where I'm based here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Today, we're off to Northern California, but we're not going to check out Californian wines, we're going to follow the migration of Canadian wines into the United States. My guest today is Vijay Gandhi, founder of Cascadia Wine Merchants, which is based south of of San Francisco. Cascadia Wine Merchants imports, distributes, and sells Canadian wines to the United States markets. I think that I first met Vijay in the virtual world through Instagram or Google. I was trying to figure out how to send holiday gifts of British Columbian wine to friends of mine who live in the U.S., after a short online search, Cascadia popped up. Looking back on things now, this would have been, have been, would have been the early days when VJ was starting to build her business. And there really weren't many other options out there for what I was looking for. So we connected online and VJ then helped not only me, but also some of my other clients who wanted to gift Canadian wines to their U.S.-based recipients. So this is a practical example of how and why a new business is started to help fix a problem or fill a gap in the market. Like me, Vijay is Canadian, has developed a bug for sharing the good stuff about wine, and is carving a niche for herself in the wine world. I hope that you enjoy my discussion today with Vijay Khandi. Let's fly. Hi Vijay, welcome to my TT Wine Explorer podcast. Thank you so much for joining as my guest today. Hi, Tanya. It's my pleasure. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of your wine business and how you introduce Canadian wines to the U.S. market, I'd like to chat a little bit about how this all started for you. You're originally from Vancouver, B.C., and you now live in Northern California. Since moving to the U.S., you've started a new chapter in a new home, you've started a family, and you've built a brand-new wine business from scratch. And you've done this completely in a new sector for you. Can you tell us a bit about your story how did you get the bug to start this business? What prompted it?
1: That's a great question. And, uh, I've told the long version of it and I can kind <laughs> of break it down. Long story short, uh, I've moved out, I've mo- been living in Northern California now for 10 years. And I think I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spin spirit. I'm very interested in trade economics, you know, entrepreneurship. And, um, Coming from Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, as usual, we go out to the Okanagan to go wine tasting. I think the Fraser Valley is still quite new. Uh, you know, it's still building. It's like portfolio, I feel like, but Okanagan's kind of been strong and steady for 20, 30, 40 years. So, uh, we would frequent Okanagan and if we weren't hanging out at the lake or boating all day, you know, we were wine tasting after the age of 21 or 19 or whatever it was. And, um, when I moved to California, always being a foodie and I'd worked corporate for so long. So corporate allows you this like really wonderful experience of dining in downtown Vancouver. If you work anywhere on Broad Street, you know, you've had lunch at like a really nice restaurant, right, with your colleagues. So great food, great wine did was not a shock to me. So when I moved to Northern California, uh, my husband and I, we share that in common. We love food and wine and art culture. And uh, But what surprised me most was I was not seeing Canadian wine on the menus. And um, I think a natural problem solver, I started asking questions about it. And also, I think one day it just kind of clicked to me. I said, well, why don't I just touch base with some of my friends that I'd met, you know, over my corporate years, uh, and just find out if any of the trade folks know about Canadian wine in the U.S. because I really, like yourself, mm-hmm. I couldn't find it anywhere, <laughs> not even online. And uh, then my, with, you know, some marketing research, I reached reached out to a New York-based uh, market research company, and it was important to me for to get gather some data and understand the audience here because, like you said, I wasn't American. I grew up in Canada. I knew the demographic there, geographic, you know it's different when you move to a brand new country and you don't know a soul and you haven't worked there and you haven't lived life. So I was really heavily relying on data and analysis. And um, it turns out that California is the largest wine producer, as well as in consumption. And I'm sure some of the other states are growing now, but um, wine culture is very affluent here. And so when I look at a community like that, um, it's just like if you work, you were you were raised in, uh, you know, Montana or Alberta, like we're like, a, aware of like the Calgary Stampede, and you know, the farms and, you know, but then if you grew up in wine country, you're probably tasted wine at 19 2021, 20, or, you know, you're just more affluent to that. So that told me, okay, coincidentally, I live in the Bay Area, and Napa's right here, this must be a wine educated demographic. And so when you look at from that perspective, it's kind of more of an open door and a warm hug and come on in. We want to try your new wine. So oh, you're from Canada. That's amazing. Never tried it. Let's try it. So that's kind of how it played out because I was approached by folks every once in a while, you know, and a lot of business owners go through this. Are you crazy? You <laughs> want to do
0: that? Oh, that's not gonna work. I've heard that a lot. You know, <laughs> you- but, yeah. Well, you yeah, crazy, crazy, I guess, because... Right? you weren't you're a known quantity and Canadian wines weren't really a known quantity and you're doing it in, you know, one of the powerhouses of wine, global wine production in California in American wine headquarters. So, so you got across a lot of information quickly. Um, I didn't know that you would, en- I'd forgotten that you had engaged um, a marketing firm. So you really, you really put yourself to the paces quickly and you obviously identified a gap. So, so from that, um, it sounds as though you started to build a business. Um, you know, I understand that the main components of your business are, you know, you're an online retailer, you're a distributor and an importer. I, you know, I know that's a lot at once. I know that the framework in the United States is different than ours here in Canada. You know, do I have this right in terms of the component of your business? And, you know, did you start with one or what was the process to get to where you're at now in terms of your framework? I started
1: with all three licensing right off the bat and permits because I wanted my, the website we curated to serve as a platform for Canadian producers to showcase their Canadian wines in the U S my vision started with a long-term vision. It wasn't just like, Hey, I want to open up an online retail shop and just have the ease of doing that. No, I was really looking at like, what's a great export ratio. Wouldn't it be amazing if Canada was able to bridge a gap of um, you know, at a high level. So because we only share one border with the U S and the more research I did. And then in, the research doesn't just t- take place on the U S side about stats on, you know, what the consumption looks like, how much is being imported. Um, it's also about why were the previous attempts to push Canadian wine into the U S why did it fall short? Where did we fall short in the past? And I think, I think anyone that's tried it, it's an amazing uh, passion to pursue. It's a lot of hard work. And, um, and pricing kept coming up that the prices were too high once it crossed the border. So that really kind of made me look at, well, what are some ways we can cut our overhead uh, bring the costs down? And so what happens is when you import a bottle of wine to, into the U S for an importer before that importers, you know, showcases it to a distributor, it's marked up 40%. And um, then you look at what the distributor charges before they sell it to a retailer. And then, you know, how much more money goes into that. But by the time you get to the, the, the retail price for the consumer, I mean, it's substantial. And how can you convince someone that an amazing bottle from Canada that sells for $25 there is worth $55 here in the US or $50? And um, I just don't think that's fair to the consumer. And I don't think it's fair to producers um, who are kind of falling short by not marketing themselves with a better strategy. So by allocating and, um, you know, having these licenses and permits, I was able to get rid of some of the, you know, just marking up. Uh, So instead, I'm kind of having a better uh, margin here for Canadian retailers in the U.S.
0: So... You're touching on so many interesting points right now on the building of the business and the building of a business that relates to wine Mm
1: -hmm. and wine
0: crossing a border where there are different regulatory aspects, different taxation points, different pricing. You have to navigate a lot on both sides of the border in terms of expectations. So I'm going to get to the pricing bit perhaps a little bit later, but this is a a related issue. I suppose let's call it about market differentiation and also what's enticing. So, you know, I'm often asked by my American friends why they don't see a lot of Canadian wines in their shops, on their wine lists. You know, people usually know about ice wine, but that's about it. I mean, there is more now, but until recently it was like, what, you make more than ice wine. Um, You know, there are a lot of reasons why Canadian wines haven't gone out in large volumes um, internationally. I mean, some of the key factors, as you know, are that, you know, our production volumes here are very, very small. I mean, minuscule in the global wine context. And right now, the majority of our wines, and I'll focus on British Columbia wines in the Canadian context right now, but obviously there's wine from a lot of other uh, provinces in Canada. You know, most of our uh, wine that we make in BC, we consume domestically. So there isn't really much left Uh, To go abroad, not right now, anyway. Um, You know, if we could free more of our grapes and get more bottles to be able to come your way, you know, let's talk about demand and interest. You know, are you seeing a trend of more consumers where you're based wanting to explore more things from outside of California, outside of the U.S.? you know, is it the wine or the story that's enticing? Like what, what is it, um, that you think can be the hook to get people to try something that's very, very different in their market?
1: So, uh, you know, the consumer habits have been changing. So, uh, even though we're based in California and it's such a big wine growing region and things like that, they are, they are seeking wines from outside the country. Um, and so, you know, sometimes I'll go to a a California restaurant and I'll just see California wines on there. But most of the restaurants do carry an international portfolio. So I think the way we position the business was to, I know, I, I don't know if anyone, everyone agrees with calling it a boutique business, but kind of asserting ourselves right off the beginning uh, at the beginning to say, hey, we buy small production, um, high quality wines from Canada, and we showcase some of the best brands. And uh, so it is about the story. It's about the wine quality. And, um, you know, I really had to stick my neck out in the beginning and host events. Um, whether They were in person and mostly in person and knock on the right doors, um, network. It was really, Tanya, it was from scratch. Yeah. and Grassroots. So- grassroots. Grassroots.
0: Word of mouth, grassroots. Yes,
1: exactly. Reaching out to folks within your own network, attending events so you can build out your network, shaking hands with people who are like-minded in the industry or even outside your industry. And then it's really amazing to realize there are so many Canadians living in the US. And so that was also one of our target audiences, right? Because now you're bringing a little piece of something they loved from back home here. And it kind of feels like a feels like a hug in a bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's an interesting point because, you know, yes, there are a lot of Canadians living in the U.S. So I imagine that a really strong marketing channel for you is to find them and say, hey, you can get some of your wines from home here uh, through our online shop or, or you know, through us. Uh, that's interesting, though. So Canadians might know what to expect from a Canadian wine. Um, in terms of consumer preferences – in in general terms, I mean, I understand that you sell into different states within the United States. Have you observed a difference in flavor profiles between different consumers, like on a state base, or not necessarily? You know, big reds, more fruit forward. You know, are people looking for lower alcohol wine, more European style? You know, this is in the context of a whole bunch of a myriad of on of offerings in the United States. Um, you know, and does that affect the types of Canadian wines that you select to bring in, like in terms of the flavor profiles that you're observing in your market in the United States?
1: Absolutely. Hands on. And when we looked at our first five years of sales and we looked at what was selling, it's really interesting because um, for example, on the East coast, this is actually a conversation I had with um, another group On the East Coast, we would notice more of our ice wines making it out to uh, online retail sales. Whereas on the West Coast, we get a little bit more of like our, you know, warm climate. Like we get uh, in California, the Sauvignon Blancs, the Pinot Gris, the the Pinot Noirs, and some of the things that they're more familiar with, like, uh, you know, like a red blend. But on the East Coast, they're more open to purchasing a sweeter white wine. Uh, a deeper red uh, and some of the, uh, you know, big Syrahs or the really heated, like in Texas, for example, you know, the Texans are purchasing our biggest reds and our biggest Syrahs. So I think it does kind of have to do with flavor profile. And it's so interesting. It made me wonder one day, are folks on the East coast drinking ice wine? Because at some point, they familiarize themselves with the Finger Lakes or have gone up to the Niagara Peninsula. And how oddly is it like a coincidence that the folks on the West Coast are drinking wines that are similar to what's being served up in, you know, Oregon, Washington, British Columbia, for example, British Columbia is part of the Pacific Northwest. So I think it's a little geographical as well. And that's the only thing that really when you look at the stats and you look at the marketing, that's really what shows up for me.
0: Well, that's a really interesting point. Uh, you know, Texas, maybe, you know, originally what goes with big reds with big steak. Um, you know, East Coast. I've seen that certainly in Canada. If you travel to some of our eastern cities, often um, you know, there's a lot of a European wine historically that's very popular um, or the go-to. Um, so you know, your reference to Pacific Northwest, you know, this brings up to me the name Cascadia. So the term Cascadia I know, um, and I usually think of it as, you know, spelt with a C, and, you know, as I understand it, we use that term often to refer to uh, a geographical area, a borderless area, but that area takes in British Columbia, Washington State, Oregon, perhaps Northern California, and this kind of idea that we are all quite alike given geography. Um, so you're at Cascadia is with a K. So what does that word mean for you? What are you looking to evoke? What, you know, um, you meant, you know, you've mentioned about let's turn our minds to North American wines. What are you, what are you saying here?
1: For me personally, it encompasses my, where I come from, my, the home I grew up in and my new home that I've built. So, you know, the Pacific Northwest is basically where the Cascade Mountain Range runs, right? Starts in British Columbia and it works all the way down to, I believe it's Northern California. And that's where we source most of our inventory. We do bring in, um, you know, wine from Ontario and in some cases, Quebec. We are going to start reaching out to Nova Scotia and a couple of other places. But this really does, you know, my business has become my story. It's and, and it's so personal. And I think passion, you know, folks have said to me, gosh, you're so passionate about what you do. It's because I love what I do. And there's a lot of love that goes into every part of our company, um, whether it's like our marketing campaigns, I think the more authentic you are in what you do, even when you started and you didn't know anything, and people kind of see you grow. People really watch your business grow. People watch you grow. And I've I've become a mother over the last three years. That changes things, right? And um and you know, we, we've kind of now started to feel more comfortable in showcasing not just a wine company, but a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Wine tasting is wine tasting, purchasing wine, enjoying your wine. Um, you know, even in our club, we now include recipe cards every quarter so that people feel like they're part of something just a little bit bigger than just like, oh, I purchased wine, it comes shows up every quarter. We have virtual tastings. We're going to start having pop-up events. But, um, and then our photo shoots have really changed. You know, our photo shoots used to be just about products. It's now, you know, we position- we've position we pivoted and positioned ourselves to showcase a lifestyle. So, I have grown as an entrepreneur, as a woman, as a mother, and, um, you know, Cascadia it really does encompass where I come from, and i per- us brought, brought a little something of what I love from home into my new home, and I'm very proud of it, so that's what it means to us. Yeah, and actually, I just wanted to touch base on when you asked me about the North American wines, like why did I mention North American wine and changing the narrative, I think. Um, That really is so important now because now we've identified a channel on how to solve this problem, which was we couldn't get Canadian wine into the U.S. So now that we've solved that, now there's this channel, I mean we're going to change the narrative to North American wine because someone eventually is going to say in five years, Oh yeah, I picked up some wine from BC. Oh, we're just talking about North American wines over here. Not the, you know, just isolating ourselves as a continent. I think now that the solution is there, I think that this is just, I see Cascadia being around in 10 years. I see it being around for a long time. The fact that we've, um, you know, been able to build out this club now we ship to 45 states. I mean, we've just grown. So anyway, so just to answer that question, um, that is very important to me.
0: There is so much there. I mean, an, an entrepreneur finding a gap in the market, helping to fill the gap. And really your point about the lifestyle, wine is so much more than just wine. I have this chat with almost everyone I connect with in the industry or wine enthusiasts And wine, I mean, at its basic, I love just drinking wine and I'm happy not to chat about it, but it really is about everything around it. It is about a story and it is about food and it's about connecting with people. Um, So you mentioned the process of becoming an entrepreneur. So can you share with us one or two challenges or curveballs which surprised you or which you weren't expecting when you started this whole process. And maybe pandemic aside, because I think, or if you want, maybe that's it, because that was a big curveball for so many people. And you were really launching this business during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And then on the flip side, if you have any comment about any welcome surprises, which you didn't see coming or anticipate that, you know, really added to the business or took you in a different direction that a very pleasant direction that you weren't expecting. But
1: uh, biggest surprises aside from uh, the pandemic, I would say, uh, so I would say like, I really look at myself as really haven't worked on this business for five years. And the first two years was really about setting up your permits and licensing and doing market research. Uh, it was three years ago. My biggest shock was we found out we were having twins. And that yeah, sounds personal, but it does intervene. With well, it's part of your life. It's part of your life. But what I was very committed to, and i always will be is my children and my husband and my family comes first. But the great part of my company and my, the great, wonderful part of the pandemic was it allowed me to work from home. And I had support within my, my home, which was, uh, between my husband and I and my, his parents were around, uh, you know, if I had to hop on a virtual tasting, I could. And the wonderful thing that happened during COVID as well was, and I didn't anticipate this was the influx of sales. So it's great. It was a great uh, thing that happened, uh, but we ran out of inventory and that was very difficult for me to bring it down when a border was closed. (laughs) So, uh, and then I think it also gave me room to pivot my business, which was our goal actually in the beginning was to carry wines from Oregon, Washington and California at some point. I think this pushed me to pivot in that direction that year. Uh, not only were we all sitting in our homes, but some of the biggest fires that have ever taken place along the West coast happened that year. I just remember being in tears watching TV and sometimes I would just shut it off and my heart would break for the wineries in Northern California or Washington or Oregon and BC. And um, so that was the year we pivoted and we brought on a few producers from Oregon and California. So, Every entrepreneur, every business owner has to pivot. Sometimes disaster can strike and you're pushed in that direction. But I think at the end of the day, it was for good reason.
0: And so I guess this might inform, goes into actually one of my next questions, which is, uh, since you've started your business, um, you've started also a wine club now, you've just recently launched a wine club and that's a new addition to your wheel of services and offerings. Um, where has the main growth been since you started your business? Is it, you know, word of mouth, uh, consumers based in certain states or, are Canadians, um, And where would you like to target your future growth to be in your business? It sounds as though part of it might be some unexpected growth and new, new, (laughs) new channels that you weren't expecting. Um, But you know, what, where, where would you like to, where would you like Cascadia to be in let's say five years in terms of who your base is, who your consumers are?
1: I would say the largest uh, percentage of growth we've seen is in our direct to consumer portfolio I, the trade, trade is always there. Wholesale, we have wonderful wholesale clients. We've been able to work with some really amazing restaurants and retail shops. Uh, we kind of keep ourselves as a boutique distributor only because um, that hasn't been my focal point. But I obviously want to keep inventory available for wholesale clients because they're also important. Um, it's just that I really wanted to build out our online, online portfolio. Um, specifically because I think the reach is bigger. So the, the web can take you to 45 U.S. states versus, uh, you know, putting all your time and energy into meeting with, you know, uh, clients just in California. It's, it's just the reach was there. So um, I think that's still going to be very important. It's always going to be on um, where I'll invest a lot of my time. And that, that really helped us because we focused our energy there that helped us launch the wine club. And I think because we're going to put our focus into the wine club, that'll help us grow. Um, and, you know, more people will be able to share their experiences and uh, talk about Canadian wine. So just
0: on the wine club for people who aren't familiar, uh, and I suppose particularly people who are listening who are in the United States now. So your wine club is a curated, uh, every so often you will announce a curated pack of wine um, that you've selected um, and bundle and deliver to people's doorsteps. Um in many states is it offering in practical terms is that is that the that's the service yeah, absolutely so
1: we have curated three uh specific packs uh, the first one is called O canada because it's all canadian it's four bottles of wine uh, the second one is the Ca- cascadia four pack uh, which is two Canadian wines and two PacWest wines. And the third is uh, Cascadia six. So three Canadian and three PacWest. When I say PacWest, it could be from Oregon, Washington or California. Um, and it's just the best picks for the season. Uh, the best usually from the region. And I mean, I think folks say it to me quite often, they get on our website and they look at the brands we carry. We can, we carry the creme de la creme uh, and for product and brands. And, um, we offer two virtual tastings a year. Uh, we also offer a recipe card and we ship every quarter, uh, which, uh, you know, the pack is really nice. It lets people digest the new the new wines. And uh, we talk about it quite a bit. And uh, we do have a Founders Club, which is our first uh, group of found, uh, you know, I think it was 50 signups, uh, would be part of our annual book club. So in that, we gift... Are that club member a book every year that they can enjoy our very first one was perfect parents from Evan Goldstein uh, and uh, everybody loved it and it's great because it's got all these recipes and it teaches you about wine and the next year will be another book and it's my personal gift to club members uh, you know thank you for being the first 50 which I think we're almost full <laughs> so anyone else interested hop on there and um, it's just uh, it's just exciting because you get to be creative when you have a club.
0: Absolutely. And it's exciting that you have someone like Evan Goldstein who's who you're working with um, to have such a highly regarded uh, wine uh, master and uh, foodie and chef and writer uh, to have you working with him. That must be really, really exciting.
1: He's amazing. I mean, Evan's been a client for years and, uh, we, you know, we work on a couple projects together, but, uh, when I had to pick my first book, I was like, Evan, I'd be honored if you, if I can, uh, give your book out for our very first, uh, offering. He's like, that's, he's like, I'm honored. (laughs) So we're, we're great friends. We love working together. I think we do really great work together uh, on the projects we've worked on. And, um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that we do also have partnerships with, uh, wine touring companies in in BC right now that are offering discounts to Cascadia wine club members. So that was another incentive for our founders club.
0: Fantastic. So if people want to find out more then the best way is to go to your website, I assume, uh, and they can find out uh, how they can get wine depending on the state that they're in or where they like wine sent to, or to become members of your club and learn more about what you have on offer. So that would be the best thing. And obviously they can connect with you through the site,
1: right? That's correct. Uh, We currently ship to about 45 U.S. states. So we cover quite a bit of ground, uh, but you never know. So uh, we do have a page on our website that says, I think shipping, and you'll be able to see whether your, your state is on there or not.
0: We've talked about the why for your business, like why this started then there's the how. And we've talked a little bit about it. Are you, you know, you'd grassroots, go to events, tastings, you've started it online, you've done your market research. In practical terms, uh, you know, what's involved for you? you? You know, you can mainly work mainly in at home in California, and then you do trips to Canada. But, you know, practically, how what do you need to do to get the wine over the border in really broad terms? I imagine it's a lot of paperwork and time and patience. And then you have other parties or wineries on the Canadian side of the border that are help that are you're working with to, to get, to get the grapes across. Right.
1: Well, number one is sourcing. Uh, and the way I source is uh, I'll attend the Vancouver international wine festival a couple times times, you know, in the five year span and uh, or networking I think we've had a great experience, word of mouth, just chatting with some of the wineries we work with. I'll sometimes ask a new producer, uh, if they were introducing in our portfolio, is there anyone else that you'd like to see in our portfolio with you? I think um, that really helps. And uh, once we, and, and again, most wineries will reach out to us. So we have many wineries reaching out to us quite often. And we're still trying to work through the list of folks that have reached out. So sometimes it's an initial conversation with the winemaker or the proprietor, and letting them know this is what's involved. um, And then we set up samples. Uh, First step for a winery that is interested in exporting into the US is uh, they'll have to ship samples. And I work them through that process too, because that's also uh, there's some paperwork required required for that. And then once we say, okay, these are the ones we're going to purchase, I work through the pricing strategy uh, with uh, wineries and make my suggestions on what we should do. And then when that's finalized, then we start the paperwork and we get everything documented, you know, cola label applications, the whole nine yards. And um, I basically prepare them for success. And that's my goal. And um, that is something we offer via consulting now, because just the amount of work we started taking on. Um, you know, if we want to build out this business, it's going to take more than just myself. So I do have an impeccable team that I rely heavily on every day. Every Monday we have our team meeting. We had ours today and we've got our office coordinators. We've got our folks in distribution. We've got our folks who handle our marketing and PR. Um, like we have a solid team here and I'm hoping to continue the consulting side so I can really start to build up the amount of wineries that are in our portfolio that want to be here.
0: Well, congratulations to be at the point where you're expanding your team. It is a lot of work and also for being able to offer the consulting advice and assistance to wineries. Because as you know, so many of our wineries in British Columbia are very small, they're family run, and people are really focusing on the farming and making the wine. You know, there isn't a lot of time at the end of the day to um, work on other initiatives, and it, like you've mentioned, there is so many steps that are involved, and you need chunks of time. And <laughs> we all need a fresh brain, uh, you know, once in a while to work through these things. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a great resource that you ha- you are making available to producers who are interested in investigating this path. To turn the focus back on where you are, um, this is more of a little bit of a rapid fire question. Um, So, and this is probably very similar to someone asking me to give them some ideas of my favorite wineries to go to when they come to the Okanagan, which is really hard for me to answer without asking them more questions like, where have you been? What kind of wine do you like? Um, Do you like rustic? Do you want to go fancy? So I can't just seem to give a very simple Answer. Uh, however, here goes my question to you, VJ. If I was coming down to visit you, um, you know, what do you, what are some of your must do spots in your neighborhood uh, for wine, or in your wine country? You're, you know, you're on the you're on the doorstep of a number of wine uh, wine countries around you. You know, where would you send me? Where would you take me? Well,
1: I think uh, most folks will go to Napa and uh, or Sonoma. And there's also, I, I live in Los Gatos currently, um, and we we also have many wineries in the Santa Cruz Mountain ABA, right? And so there's just so many wineries. I mean, there's a winery at Testerosa about seven-minute drive from my home <laughs> in the tasting room, and it's just amazing. <laughs> it's really a beautiful place, and they've got amazing wines. Uh, they're kind of more Burgundian-focused, which is really nice. Um wonderful Pinot Noirs. You can get like a light Pinot Noir to a a deeper Pinot, like a bold Pinot Noir, in in fact. And you can get a French oak Chardonnay or you can get, you know, no no oak. And so I think the variety is just so incredible out here. But uh, I actually haven't been to Napa in a while, but we tend to frequent Sonoma, surprisingly. Um, Sonoma downtown has a really incredible like tasting room area. It almost feels like it's one block of just tasting rooms. And one of my favorite ones is Pangloss. And I think they're a little bit more Burgundian focused. I can't remember right now, but uh, just incredible wines. And really like just you can really taste, uh, you know, the region. And uh, it's the herbaceous uh, red wines that I love that you kind of pick up there. And then uh, I want to give a shout out. Actually, this is funny, but there is a wine shop. Uh, in Aptos, California, called Deer Park Wine and Spirits. I can't make this up. It has the, They have the most amazing selection for industry folks. <laughs> yes. So if you uh, work in the industry, and I'm ha- I pretty sure it has to do with this incredible buyer. I believe she worked uh, as a winemaker at some point in the Santa Cruz Mountains. But everything you are looking for, whether it's international or local, is in that shop.
0: (laughs) It sounds like an absolute mecca and that I need to have that high on my list when I swing back to Northern California on my next visit. It's so incredible
1: because it's, you know, you wouldn't think it, but when I walked in and I think every once in a while when I'm in there, I'm inspired by some of the producers and they, they focus on small production as well. And I think, uh, Tara Wine Company. I absolutely love her wines, woman owned business. Uh, Tara's, you know, California based winemaker. And uh, the first time I tried her wines, I'd heard about them, but I tried them there. Um, Also Two Shepherds, another local producer, uh, just really amazing stuff coming out of Santa Cruz mountain region. So I am just such a big fan, and I can't say enough good things about it. So I wanted to mention
0: There's something about mountain wine that's very, very compelling. Um, so high altitude mountain wine. I mean, sounds like you've mentioned a few from where you're around, uh, where near you, and we have some certainly here in uh, in British Columbia, Similkameen Valley, and uh, you know Fort Barrens and Lillooet. So something very intriguing about mountain wine. Oh, uh, well, VJ, there will be so much for us to taste uh, when I swing by Northern California next time. And no doubt we'll be able to click glasses again on one of your uh, trips back up to British Columbia sometime soon. Um, in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for joining me today and also for being such an enthusiastic proponent, uh, not only of British Columbian and Canadian wines, But also for taking hold of this, of the reins of this adventure called life with such great humor and enthusiasm and aplomb. I really uh, enjoy spending time with you and swapping notes about the industry. So thanks so much for sharing the, uh, the good word about British Columbia wines south of our border. And I really look forward to seeing you again sometime up this way. Looking forward to
1: it as always, Tanya. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining. So just as a little interlude here, it seemed to me when listening back on this recording that VJ and I didn't actually spell out the name of her website. So this short little break is to let you know that the website for accessing VJ's company and services is Cascadia Wine Merchants. That's all one word.com, and Cascadia is with a K. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you'd like to hear more discussion around the topic of why you don't see many Canadian wines in America or other global wine regions, you can tune into Chef Demoni Podcast Discussion where I go through this topic in more detail. Check out episode 54 of Chef Demoni. It's called Line Cook Thoughts and it's an interview with Ray Delucia, a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America who advocates for line cooks and food industry workers. I have a sidebar chat in that episode with host Graham McLennan. I also mentioned Cascadia wine merchants, and we talk about why Americans don't see Canadian wines in U S shops or restaurant wine lists. But if you'd like to listen to my future TT wine Explorer podcasts, you can follow me on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and Google podcasts. I'd be thrilled if you join me for the ride until then keep tasting, learning and living.